Hello and welcome back to our sessions on Biblical Womanhood. Last time we gathered together, we looked at the instruction for the older women to teach the younger women to love their children. I gave you four specific ways we can express love to our children and our grandchildren. First of all, we learned that you, one way you love your children is by teaching them the word and the ways of God. It's so important that we develop a deep love for the Bible by reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it, and internalizing it. And then that we teach it to our children and grandchildren and any other children that the Lord has placed in our lives. We've looked secondly at another way you can love your children and that's by putting 1 Corinthians 13 into practice in your relationship with them. Those verses Therefore, verses, verses 4 through 7, should consistently be a part of your thinking as you parent your children. We know, of course, that every family needs rules in order to function in an orderly and peaceable way, but it's so important that those rules are never enforced with screaming, yelling, or anger. Another way you love your children is by expressing affection and delight in them, and we should have the same attitude toward children that the Lord Jesus has. God told us in Psalm 127 that children are gifts from him and your children will feel secure and loved if they know that you view them as a gift rather than a burden. Lastly, I said that you love your children by consistently administering loving, godly discipline. While you should delight in your children and enjoy them, you must also recognize that they are sinners. You're to show affection to your children by recognizing that they are precious gifts from God, but you must guard against idolizing your children or your grandchildren. Well, now we're going to move on in the second chapter of Titus. If you turn with me in your Bibles to the little book of Titus, chapter number two, verses one through five is what we're going to look at. And we're going to discuss a little bit about the next two specific things that the older women are instructed to teach the younger women, and that is to be self-controlled and pure. So look with me once again at Titus chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Well, first, as older women, we are to teach the younger women to be self-controlled. This means we're to train them in discernment teach them to make good judgments, to be able to make wise decisions. We see this described in Proverbs 22:3. the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple or the foolish go on and suffer for it. A foolish woman will walk right into sin and then have to suffer the consequences, while a discreet or a prudent woman will see sin approaching and get as far away from it as she can. 
the same ideas expressed in Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Ladies, this means that we are to be attentive as we go on our way, lest we fall into sin. We are to teach the young women to take precautions to guard against temptations all around them. There is a volcano in the Philippines called Mount Pinatubo. After lying silent for nearly 600 years, this volcano roared back to life, I believe back in the 1990s, costing scores of people their lives. The United States Army was forced to abandon a strategic military base. Property damage approached $1 million. And when asked to give an account for this incredible destruction caused by the volcano, a research scientist in the Philippines observed, when a volcano is silent for many years, our people forget that it is a volcano and begin to treat it like a mountain. In the same way, when it comes to moral temptations, the biggest mistake we can make is to ignore the volcano. The temptation to sin that our young people are bombarded with and begin to treat it like a dormant mountain. In Proverbs 5, we see a wise father warning his son about immoral women, and he tells his son to keep discretion. He teaches him to recognize this type of woman and tells him in verse 8, Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. This is discretion or self-control, foreseeing evil and avoiding it. Early in our marriage, my husband and I agreed that in order to avoid temptation, danger, and any damage to our testimony, neither of us would ever be alone with someone of the opposite sex. And through these 45 years of marriage, we have tried to always keep that in view. In 2 Samuel 11, we read of the, um, the encounter that King David had with Bathsheba after he saw her bathing on the rooftop. He sent for her and committed immorality with her, and David's sin was very grievous. But, you know, perhaps Bathsheba contributed to that shameful encounter with her indiscretion. David would have never sent for her if he hadn't seen her bathing out in public on the rooftop of the house. And consider the enormous consequences of their actions. Because of their sin, Bathsheba's husband, a brave and honorable man, was murdered. Her baby died, and the entire nation suffered. The enemies of God were given an occasion to blaspheme his name, and David bore a reproach that the scripture says would never be wiped away. Ladies, we must be discreet and teach the young women to be discreet in our words and in our actions. It's not uncommon anymore to hear young people, Christian young people, young people in churches where we travel, speak so indiscreetly with one another and in front of others. It's like we're learning the ability, we're, we're losing the ability to blush and we need to teach the young women to blush again, to be careful with their words, to be careful the conversation that they engage in, the things they talk about, the things they listen to. 
We need to teach them to avoid indiscretion in their speech and be careful that their words cannot be misunderstood, that their words don't grieve the Holy Spirit, and that they glorify God with their speech. Matthew Henry said, a woman without discretion is a woman of loose and corrupt conversation. Being discreet or self-controlled uh, self involves the way we talk to and conduct ourselves around men who are not our husbands. And that leads me to the next instruction the older women are to give the younger women. We are to teach them to be chaste, modest, and pure. Now we all know that we live in a very sensual society and the only way that we are going to raise discreet, modest, pure young women is if we live a proper example before them and diligently teach them. I believe it's impossible to teach young women to be pure unless you're willing to deal with the area of biblical modesty. Now I know that true purity begins in the heart. To really be pure, we must be changed from the inside out through a work of God in our hearts. What we do outwardly does not make us virtuous or righteous. A Muslim woman can be covered from head to toe, but that doesn't mean she's a virtuous woman. However, our outward behavior is an indication of what is in our hearts. And when we have been made righteous through Christ, will desire to live in a way that pleases God. Proverbs 31 tells us that the virtuous woman made herself coverings. Now, she wasn't virtuous because she covered herself, but she covered herself because she was virtuous. Many times, someone who reveals herself in a sensual way has a problem not just in her clothing, but also in her heart. One well-known pastor said that immodesty is an expression of arrogance and an absence of humility because it is drawing undue attention to oneself. On the other hand, he said, modesty is humility expressed in dress. Humility expressed in dress. Now, I truly believe that there are some who dress immodestly out of ignorance, but it still communicates the wrong message. And that's why, as older women, we have a responsibility to teach the younger women about modesty. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10 tells us, Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. This is a crucial text when we're talking about teaching young women because of two words that are used. Paul told Timothy the women should dress with modesty and self-control. These are the exact same words that are used in Titus chapter 2. We are to teach the young women to be modest or pure and to be discreet or self-controlled. This passage makes it clear that Teaching the young women how to dress is part of teaching them how to walk in self-control and purity. Sisters, we are instructed to dress respectably and modestly. Our clothing is to be proper for women who profess godliness. That sounds just like what we're told over in Titus. Titus 2.5 says we're, we are to teach these things and live this way 
so that the word of God will not be reviled. If we claim to know Christ, then our wardrobe should support that claim. So when you shop, before you ask yourself, is this cute or does this look good on me? There's nothing wrong with those questions. I'm not advocating that you dress frumpy or out of dress like you're from another century. But our first concern should be, will this glorify God? If I were to meet Jesus in person today, would I be embarrassed to have this on? Could this cause my brother to stumble in his thought life? Webster's defines modesty as having a regard for decencies of behavior or dress, quiet and humble in appearance, not displaying one's body. While immodesty is just the opposite. It's dress that draws attention to the body rather than the face. It's dress that leaves more uncovered than covered and causes men to lust. I like Dr. John MacArthur's definition of modesty. He says modesty is a healthy sense of shame at saying anything, doing anything, or dressing in any way that would cause a man to lust. You see, modesty involves more than simply dress. It also encompasses the way we speak, the way we walk and conduct ourselves. A woman can be modestly dressed, completely covered, and still come across very seductively. Proverbs 7 speaks of a woman dressed as a prostitute, but it doesn't describe the attire of a harlot for us. I think it is assumed that men would know a prostitute by the way she dresses. Well, I'm afraid that's not so easy to do anymore. I remember my father driving one time. I was in the back seat of the car and we went through a bad part of town where we lived. And there were women dressed very immodestly on the side of the road. And I didn't realize it as a child, but it was the red light district of our city. Well, now that's a common dress. When I walk into Walmart or another shopping place, I, I'm shocked sometimes that women go out in public in pajamas, in underwear, in just indecently dressed, plunging necklines, skin tight jeans and leggings and very short skirts and shorts and see-through blouses. All of these things are commonly seen in public now. And the fashion designers have a purpose in mind. They intend for clothing to be sensual and provocative. They're designed to reveal your figure and to catch eyes. Back in his day, Charles Spurgeon said, England gets their fashions from Paris and Paris gets them from hell. I wonder what his thoughts would be if he could see the common dress of today. He would probably be speechless. Back in 1960, when fashion designer Mary Kwan introduced the miniskirt, she was very honest about her intention. She said publicly, I designed the miniskirt to announce to the world that I am ready to go to bed with a man day or night. Now, I am positive that would not be the intention of any of you who might wear short skirts, but I'm encouraging you to consider what your clothing is announcing to others. Harlots advertise that their bodies are for sale by wearing tight, skimpy clothing. 
But a disciple of Jesus Christ should never dress as a harlot or an immoral woman. And we should be teaching the young women to dress modestly. I love this quote by Dr. John Piper. He said, clothes are not meant to make people think about what is under them. Clothes are meant to direct attention to what is not under them. Merciful hands that serve others in the name of Christ. Beautiful feet that carry the gospel where it is needed. And the brightness of a face that has beheld the glory of Jesus. I love that. We must remember that we are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ and we want to represent him well. Teaching the young women to be pure involves more than just dress though. In this day when sexual immorality is the norm, it's imperative that we teach the young women to stay morally pure. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-7 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. There are three very important ways we can teach the young women to live a pure, self-controlled life. First, we must teach them that God commands us to abstain from sexual immorality. The word pornea is used here. That would include all sexual sin, including adultery, fornication, homosexuality, incest, incest, and pornography. We have to teach our children that regardless of what the Queen of England says, regardless of what the pastor down the street says, regardless of what any man or woman tells us, that any sexual relations outside of marriage is sin. There are no exceptions. Then we must teach them that it honors God and it demonstrates love for him and other people to stay sexually pure. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment in the law was, what was his answer? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Well, how do we love God? 1 John 5, 3 answers that question for us. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. If we truly love God, we will keep his commandments. We don't keep them perfectly, but the pattern of our life will be one of obedience. And if we truly love him, it's not a burden to keep his commandments. We want to please him. Our desire is to bring him glory in our words, our actions, and our dress. So the most important reason we are to dress modestly and keep ourselves pure and teach the young women to do the same is because we love God and we want to please him. And then what did Jesus say is the second commandment? He said the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The second great commandment is that we are to love others just as we love ourselves. 
We should dress decently and behave discreetly because we care about others. We care about our husbands and we want to honor them and our commitment to them. We care about younger Christians who are watching us and listening to us. We care about lost people who are looking to see if there's anything different about us. We care about our brothers and we want to help them walk in purity. Most of us as women have no clue as to the struggle that many men have in their thought lives. When a, a woman's body is exposed, it does something to men that we many times just do not understand. When a woman flirts and dresses in a seductive way, she stirs up desires in men that cannot be fulfilled in a righteous way. Sisters, we should try to help our brothers walk in holiness, not make it more difficult for them. Godly men are bombarded with sensual women everywhere they go, on billboards, at the shopping mall, on the computer, at work, at school, and they shouldn't have to deal with that in the house of God too. That's the very reason the instruction was given in 1 Timothy 2. The women were coming to the place of worship immodestly dressed and elaborately dressed and drawing attention to themselves with their expensive jewelry and their elaborate hairstyles. They were a distraction in the worship. If we love the Lord and we love others, not only will we want to please him, but we'll want to help others please him as well. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 tells us, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Treat younger men like brothers, older women like mothers, younger women like sisters. In all purity, in all these relationships, we're to treat the men in our churches as brothers and help them treat us as sisters in all purity. We must teach the young women to behave discreetly and purely for the sake of the gospel. The Apostle Paul tells us not to live like those who do not know God. We need to warn young people that they are in danger of hell if they live in sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will inherit the kingdom of God. Titus 3.5 tells us to teach all these things so the word of God will not be blasphemed. Sisters, if we are not pure and self-controlled in our conduct, and yet we name the name of Christ, the word of God will be reviled, it will be mocked, it won't be believable to those around us. And again, in Titus 2.10, we're told to teach all these things so we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We are to make the gospel believable. Someone said it means that we're to be a good advertisement for the Christian faith. So we have a big responsibility to teach the young women to be discreet or self-controlled and to be chaste or pure. We first do that by example. When my two daughters were younger, younger women, single women living at home, they had a friend who attended the same church that we did. She was a very sweet girl, but often dressed really immodestly. And so one day I asked my daughters if they had considered talking to her about the way she dressed. And one of my girls looked at me and said, Mom, 
Have you seen the way her mother dresses? And she teaches a Sunday school class. Sisters, if we're going to teach the young women to walk in purity, we must model that before them. I want to leave you with Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I want to encourage you to daily present your bodies as a holy living sacrifice to God and teach the young women around you to present their bodies to the Lord. This is the least we can do in the light of all that he has done for us. Let's refuse to allow the world to dictate how we dress, how we talk and conduct ourselves, and how we train our daughters. I pray we will behave with discretion and purity and then teach the younger women to do the same as an expression of love to our husbands, for the good of others, for the sake of the gospel, and for the glory of God. May he be lifted up and glorified in all of our lives as we seek to please him in these things. Mm -hmm.